0: I don't even want to talk this morning. I I just, I'm afraid. I woke up this morning and I was afraid I would just add to the noise. Uh, So having said that, the summer that I graduated from high school, 1996, there was a new artist who broke into the pop music culture with a song that was rising on the charts. She asked a song that you'd expect maybe to hear more in a church service than on the radio. But her name is Jewel and her song was... Who will save your soul? Are you thinking? Some of you thinking of the words right now or the the melody. Um, So we're asking this question. It's a really, really great question and thinking about the soul and what it is. And we're doing this series, First Things First. And it's based on a couple of things that Jesus said. Jesus said in his most famous sermon to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when asked about the most important commandments... Jesus didn't say they're all equally important. He, he answered, and, and he had clear answers. So we're using what he said from Mark 12, 30 through 31, where he said the first most important command, the greatest command is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then he went on to say, the second is this, Saying, hey, there's two. This is the second one in, in proximity. But this is so deeply tied to the first that you need to hear this one too. Because this is first things first. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no meant greater than these. So Jesus is saying, if, if you're going to do anything, if you're going to follow any command, let's start with these. Because let's put first things first. What matters the most. So we're going to be looking at this, and we want to say, if you're here this morning and you don't follow Jesus, we want you to know that we're very grateful that you're here with us. We hope that something you experience with, among us is a blessing to you. If you're here this morning and you do follow Jesus, I think we can all agree that it's vitally important to us, who prioritize Jesus and following Christ, to, to really live out this idea of loving the Lord our God with all of our soul. So we're going to ask that question, and even this question, like, what is a soul? Like, what does that mean? So since we are a church, and we talked about that last week, how the church is Jesus' ecclesia it's a gathering of people, that Jesus said he, he started something, and he was in the, in the business of making people, of building people, not brick and mortar building. But it's about people who have gathered in the name of Jesus to learn from him, to, to try to figure out how to follow him in the lives that we lead. So for me, the place to look is what Jesus said about the soul. So we're going to be looking at most of the things that Jesus said about the soul. And we're going to start in Mark, Mark 8. And he, he asked this question. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What comes to your mind when you hear this question? Like for me, it's, it's documentaries and stories of people who seem to have about everything. And somewhere along the, the way, they lost it. Just this weekend, I, walked, I watched a documentary about a political operative who came out of nowhere, and then he became very successful politically. He was winning elections. Now, t- in order to do that, he was telling lots of lies. He was being deceptive, dishonest. He ruined the lives of a lot of people But he was able to achieve success, and and the goal was win at any cost. And because his team won, his party won, it was worth it because the ends justified the means. Because the good guys beat the bad guys in his mind. And, And then something happened to this guy. He had a brain tumor at a very young age. He had a brain tumor, and when he hit that, you know one of the things that he said... He, he turned to the Bible and he read it and, and he said, the thing that I just can't lose sight of is what Jesus said. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And ultimately, it was, people didn't know whether to believe him or not because it took his life. But he said, ultimately, it wasn't like I was wrong was his message because it wasn't. I gained the whole. I had all kinds of power, access to wealth and power and influence. And it wasn't worth it because in that in that place, I lost my soul. Now, I think there's a really good biblical example of this, too, because it's not just celebrities and rock stars and politicians and entertainers and people who have seemingly everything, but there are religious examples, too. We could talk about real life, but also I want to, I want to turn to the Bible, and King Solomon was a guy who seemingly had everything. He was the first one to build a temple for the Lord. He had great wealth. He had great wisdom. Again, he seemingly had everything, and he even wrote parts of the Bible. Like, tradition recognizes him as an author of three different different books in the Bible, in Proverbs, in Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Now, that's a pretty impressive resume. Like, three Bible books on your resume, built the first temple to the Lord, given great wisdom from God. He's the son of David, so his resume was fantastic But again, in that book of Ecclesiastes, which is traditionally ascribed to Solomon, you see an old man who has gained the whole world. He he, he achieved everything he set out to achieve. He went out for pleasure. He got every conceivable pleasure pleasure known to man. And yet, in the end, his comment was, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless, meaningless. And so Ecclesiastes gives us this picture into somebody who gained the whole world and in the end lost their soul, lost touch with what really mattered and said it wasn't worth it to pursue all those things. Now, I know probably a lot of us, like we haven't had that kind of success of a a Solomon or somebody who's had all kinds of wealth or maybe any wealth and think, hey, if I just had that, that would be enough. But over and over in these stories, we see this message that it's never enough. Like it's not enough for anyone to gain the whole world as promising as it seems to be. Well, let's look at the next question that Jesus asked or the next comment in Mark eight thirty-seven. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? This is a good question. Like, it's inspired a lot of stories, hasn't it? Like, this is kind of like a we go to deal with the devil. So, people who grew up in my time uh, and even to now, or if you have kids or grandkids, you might think of the little mermaid and Ursula the sea witch, because it kind of plays on this theme. She sings this song called. (laughs) Was that Matthew? Who was that? Okay, poor unfortunate, I knew somebody would do it. Poor unfortunate souls, but the idea is there are these poor unfortunate souls who really, really want something, and they are so desperate to get it that they're willing to sell themselves to the sea witch in order to get that, to make a, a bargain, a deal with the devil. Another way that this is said sometimes is the Faustian bargain, which taps into like ancient um, ancient myths. Faust, this one person who was uh, made this deal with the devil in order to get everything. He wanted every pleasure, every success, and he sold his soul to the devil, and it wasn't worth it. So what is this, this deal with the devil? Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell now this is again this is where i start worrying about adding to the noise this week i had a very strange text here it said the baptistry is smoking or steaming the baptistry's on fire like what in the world does that mean how can that happen well fortunately it wasn't smoke it was steam and somehow uh, there was steam coming out of the baptistry. Now, we detached the heater because we couldn't figure it out. But I thought, maybe we can leave that uh, heater in and maybe cue it at the right time, and you could see steam coming up when we talk about hell. <laughs> but that didn't work out because it was probably a fire hazard. So we didn't do that. But, but thinking about, so hell, and, and uh, yesterday we had a men's group, and somebody's bringing up different terms for hell used in the scriptures, sheol, uh, Gahana, like these ideas, Hades uh, and Gahana, a word that Jesus uses here, is, is like a burning dump in, uh, outside of Jerusalem where people burn their trash. But hell, like what, it, what, a, what a controversial, interesting thing to bring up. And I think we can say a whole lot of things about this verse. And the thing that I want to focus on here is that Jesus says that God can destroy a soul in hell, and that people cannot don't be afraid of the people maybe who threaten it don't don't be afraid of the people who say maybe that you're going to hell uh, and and that to me is like it makes me very grateful that we don't have to be afraid of the of people when it comes to hell because i I don't know about you, but I know that like lots of people have have accused me of being a person who's going to hell because I believe the wrong things or because I do things they think I shouldn't do. So I am very thankful that the people who have told me that I'm going to hell for some of my waywardness in their eyes, like I don't have to be afraid of them. So that, that's really good news to me. In fact, even Jesus was accused of being one who was heading to hell. That's how some of the religious leaders explained how he was able to do what he was doing, that it was by the power of demons. Uh, so he was accused not only of heading to hell, but also being in league with hell. So sometimes people will say that, and the good news is, Jesus says, we don't have to be afraid of them. But what about, what if we're concerned about, like, one of our loved ones especially, or people losing their souls? Because I think that's legit. Like, how do we, how do we go about that? And again, this is, this is really difficult, and I say this with caution, just worried, you know, that I might be adding to the noise. But as, as I was reflecting on this, I thought of this book called Change or Die. And in this, it is a study written by Alan Dutchman, who wrote this study done by Dr. Edward Miller from Johns Hopkins University. And he was studying angioplasty patients. And and the message was change or die. If you don't change your lifestyle, you are going to die. And what they found was that when when people had that message, you better change or you're going to die, 10% of people changed, 90% did not. And that seemed pretty consistent with other, with other studies that they would do. Change or die, when people are given that option, change or die, 10% change. Which is pretty good, right? That's better than nobody. Like change or die, you have that information. Hey, I'm living this lifestyle. If I don't change, I'm going to die. But still, like how can we get this up? One of the things that they were finding as they were doing the experiments is that people who were put in a group of other people who spurred on hope their odds went way up of being able to sustain a life change that would lead to life. Like it was hope that could really drive change. And also, what they found is that uh, the message along with that was change and thrive is a much more powerful motivator than change or die. Because when Jesus came, he wasn't just talking about being saved from hell. He was talking about being saved to something. Like, And even the Pharisees, he acknowledged they were great at making converts. But he said, you make converts, you go to great effort. But when you do, you make them twice as much of a son of hell as you are. So even if we have converts with with a certain message that's not God-honoring, like you might get results, but it might not be the results that you want. So what are we being saved to is a really big question as we follow Jesus because it's about not just making one decision for fire insurance and then moving on. But it's like a life that he's calling to, a change and thrive, being saved to something really good. The author of Hebrews taps into this in Hebrews, uh, where he says, "We have this hope." He or she—we don't know who wrote Hebrews—we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So you might be thinking, maybe like, what? What was Jesus talking about with "Fear God"? He did say, don't be afraid of people. They can't destroy your hell, your, your soul in hell or your body in hell. They can't kill you. Like people can kill our bodies for sure. But don't be afraid of, of those people. Be afraid of the one who can. So what does this mean to fear God? Jenny has a group of us doing a, a one-year Bible reading plan that includes a podcast. And I thought recently we had a pretty good illustration from that. Because our commentator was talking about fear of God and what that looks like. And uh, she came up with this illustration of the Grand Canyon. How many of you have ever been to the Grand Canyon? And Look, this picture here, if you can see it, like it's breathtaking. If you go to the Grand Canyon at the right time, especially if you have a view, you will probably have some reverence. You even look at that like walkway over the Grand Canyon. Like, there is a holy reverence, even a fear. Like, when you're at the Grand Canyon, you better better fear it because it is awesome and powerful. If you are on that, whatever that scenic overlook is, and you're not afraid of it, if you think of the Grand Canyon as just a pothole, it could be your last thought. (laughs) Because, like, this thing is awesome and powerful, and you don't have to be afraid, but you have to be serious, like... This thing has power. I cannot treat this thing as just a little hole in the ground. I got to be careful. I got to watch my step, because if I don't have this reverence, respect, fear of it, that's I'm gonna I'm gonna fall off. So there we go. So the I I think this is really about the holiness of God, like looking at God and, and for the holiness that He deserves to be recognized. The Grand Canyon puts us there when we go out in nature and see the stars that he put in place when we consider the heavens when we consider the creation and just the the beauty of an autumn day like that can lead us to that holiness of god even thinking of existence and creation and just the wonders of the lord like there's that awe of his holiness his uniqueness so uh as we as we think about the holiness of god i love how david expresses it in psalm 103 this, is, this, to me, is the fear the Lord is all about. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Like, Wow. Like that can lead us to this sense of wonder of the holiness of the Lord. Even Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. It starts with not our holiness, but God's holiness. And that God is the one to get lost in the the wonder. So again, let's go back to that question. good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit there? Because he uses a different word here. He doesn't use the same word that Matthew did and say soul. So he's using like a, a synonym, something that's similar. So what word is he going to use? Let's see the big reveal. Very self. The soul is like who we are, our very self. Who we are, our lives, what really matters. And people who lose their soul can lose their life. Like it, and God, we need to respect God and his ability and, and his, the work that he does with all of our souls Switchfoot has this song called Who We Are, and I I think of it as a soul song because they say uh, in it, John Foreman wrote, who we are, there's still time enough to choose. Who we are, I wanted more than just a feeling. Who we are for more than just a season. Who we are, we become what we believe in. And it's like the Lord, this just reflects so well what the Lord wants to do. With our soul because one of the, jesus's message is not just to come and be forgiven and wait to go to heaven wait to escape but that god cares about who we are and who we're becoming and and as we as we try to gain the world sometimes our souls can get corrupted and the lord wants to bring us back to who we really are because we are fearfully and wonderfully made and we can lose sight of that when we sell our souls this is not about, again, it's not compromising character, but remembering our identity as the children of God. Following Jesus. Because we are, as we sing often here, prone to wander. We're prone to lose our way. And, and maybe, I don't know where we all are. We're all at different places in our soul. Maybe, maybe your soul feels like it's getting on track. Maybe you're doing great. Wherever we are, Jesus had some really good news as the one who I think we can trust with our souls. Because he's the only one that I know of who's ever predicted his own death and resurrection and been able to pull it off. I don't know of anybody else. So I see him as the authority on our souls. And this is what, this was the offer. It's still the offer today. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 29. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Come to him and learn. (laughs) He's in the business of helping our soul, helping us become the best possible version of ourselves. He is the good shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd, as, as we learned in the 23rd Psalm. Like, we don't have to gain the whole world. We don't have to want to gain the whole world. Because he leads us to places that will restore our soul we don't even have to fear any evil because he's with us in our soul. He's preparing a place for us. And, and goodness, when he's with us, when we're following the good shepherd, goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives. So, who will save your soul? Does your soul need to be saved? Like what would it look like to gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? Is your soul overwhelmed? These are good questions to ask. How can you find rest for your soul? Do you want more than this world has to offer? Like, do you want that? Because everybody else who seems to gain it says it's not worth it. But do you want more? If, if the Holy Spirit is kind of knocking on your heart's door and you just sense that, yeah, I, I do want more than this world has to offer. I do recognize that Jesus is the way that I want to follow. Like, I want to follow him. I just want to, I just want to invite you to pray this prayer acknowledging jesus's leadership of our lives so we want to pray like he taught us to prayer inviting him to lead us here in the lord's prayer and our worship team is going to come up as we pray this but will you pray this prayer with me our father in heaven holy is your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven